0: Hello and welcome to Tuesdays at APA Chicago, our monthly after-hours lecture series held at APA's Burnham Conference Center. My name is David Morley. I'm a senior research associate at APA and host of Tuesdays at APA Chicago. Information on previous and future presentations is available on APA's website, www.planning.org, under the section called Events. Selected past programs are also available as podcasts, and you can see the APA website for additional details. Tonight we have with us Jason Barry from the City of Blue Island, Illinois, and Abby Cresostomo from the Metropolitan Planning Council. Jason is Planning and Building Commissioner for the City of Blue Island and Principal of Bare Knuckle Planning. His work is focused on active transportation policy and advocacy, green infrastructure, historic preservation, brownfields, and community health. Abby is an associate with MPC in Chicago where she focuses primarily on environmental planning with an emphasis on water resources policy, planning, and management. A growing number of cities across the country have begun to acknowledge their waterfronts as valuable community assets through plans, capital investments, and development regulations. Jason and Abby are here tonight to discuss lessons learned from a number of water-oriented planning activities happening in Blue Island, Illinois from neighborhood-based approaches to green infrastructure and stormwater management, to community engagement in the creation of a waterfront plan, to regional scale planning for an intercollegiate rowing center. Please join me in welcoming Jason Berry and Abby Krasostomo.
1: Thank you.
2: Thank you, David. Welcome everybody, thanks for joining us. Um, we're just gonna flip back and forth through this presentation, so um, bear with us. Um, I'm Abby Kersagma with Metropolitan Planning Council. This is Jason Barry with the City of Blue Island. Um, we're gonna give you a little bit of introduction, history about our, about the City of Blue Island and, and MPC. Talk about some of the initiatives that we've worked on together, including the waterfront planning and our stormwater management planning. Um, and then sort of the lessons learned from all of that in a nutshell.
3: So thanks again as well for coming and, and listening to Blue Island. Um, This is where we're at in the region. Um, Blue Island is a suburban community, but it borders Chicago. It borders the Beverly Morgan Park neighborhood, which a lot of people know. So as you uh, leave Chicago, you enter Blue Island. Um, So right there in the region, we're at the uh, western fringe of what's known down this way as the Calumet region, which stretches from south Chicago, southeast side of Chicago, south suburbs, and into northwest Indiana. So this was the industrial heart of Chicago, sort of the blue-collar part of town. Blue Island's a a historic and historically rich community. It uh, was founded, uh, first settled in 1835. And so we have a legacy there of infrastructure that we've been um, sort of using for the last few years to further our planning goals, rail, uh, some health and education resources as well as, of course, the Cal Sag channel, which is there now. I love this mural in, in our uptown area because it puts that water right at the heart of our community. It's always been there, and Blue Island sort of grew up around it, but for many years we've, we've neglected and turned our back. So these have been an exciting couple years for us to finally return to our, our waterfront. Blue Island today is, is proudly diverse, uh, a little bit under 25,000 people. That means we're a non-home rural community. That makes it something of a difference. It's a young community. Um, uh, there is some poverty. And uh, in terms of the sort of demographics, though, it's a pretty even mix. You know, one of the things I'm very proud about my community is, especially for a suburb, to get that amount of diversity is pretty rare. But there's also a, a good amount of economic diversity in Blue Island as well, which I think is even rarer and really hard to achieve. Uh, By policy you really have to have a a dedicated community and and people that love the town And I think that's what we have we have enough assets there that it attracts people Um, These are photos of different sort of overall efforts that we've been doing through the sort of larger policy systems and environmental change philosophy Um, a lot of that was started by Jody Prout in our community development department there she is planting at one of our community gardens and so, really connecting the waterfront to the things that people already love and like about Blue Island has been an important part of what we're trying to do.
2: I'll tell you a little bit about the Metropolitan Planning Council if you're not already familiar with us. We are a nonprofit regional planning and policy organization. We've been around for 80 years, 80 years next year. Um, And we cover the entire Chicago metro region, basically the commuter rail footprint, um, a little bit into northwest Indiana, and sometimes into southeast Wisconsin. We're not doing anything there right now, but sometimes. Um, We tend to focus on four major areas, um, well-managed natural resources, quality housing and transportation, um, vibrant neighborhoods, and a strong economy. So a lot of our work, which covers many topic areas, um, go towards those goals. And we do that by working with private entities, government, and communities and really bringing them together. We're usually considered a convener and really try to um, get people to talk in the same room about, about issues that we all care about, but maybe from different perspectives. We have a pretty long history with working in the city of Blue Island um, on of issues. Um, we actually took our staff, um, staff retreat this year to Blue Island. We were supposed to go kayaking, but there was a combined sewer overflow. So uh, we instead did a walking tour and ended up um, taking, taking our new staff photo, which is the one here on the left, and uh, is going to visit some local establishments here. <laughs> but we've done a lot of planning. Uh, we've done um, economic development planning in the last 10 years. We've done some housing plans. We're working on stormwater management, which we'll talk about um, shortly. And now we're doing some capacity building and other, um, other regional work that uh, Blue Island is one part of a bigger region. Um, and we are really trying to help Blue Island get, uh, get some direction as to where they're going and get the tools that they need and the plans they need to move forward on their own. And what we're gonna talk about today is water as a community asset. So Blue Island is lucky because it's on the Cal-Sag channel, and it actually sits on both sides of that channel, which is pretty rare um, for the communities in the Calumet region. And so it, ha- it can take advantage of both sides of that bank. Um, at the same time, it has what many communities have with um, stormwater problems and flooding issues. And you know, and I think in the planning world, we tend to keep these things really separate. We tend to, you know, somebody works on water, someone works on housing, someone works on economic development. Um, and something that we try to do at MPC, and we're trying to do in partnership with Blue Island, is try to break those silos and work across those boundaries, and actually get people to pay attention to all aspects of planning, including stormwater management planning, which you know you wouldn't necessarily expect these you know little girls to think about ever. <laughs> so you can see here on this bridge, you've got some kids playing on the bridge. You've got people fishing off of another bridge in Blue Island. They're um, this little man-made waterfall, the SEPA station that MWRD owns, is right next to their metro station their, in the downtown in Blue Island. And you've just got these, all, this, um, all these assets that the community can recognize with the waterfront, but then there's also a way to leverage that to get them to pay attention to other bigger issues and how that connects to things like stormwater management or water supply. <coughs> so we'll start with telling you a little bit about um, our Blue Island Blue Water project, which is a stormwater green infrastructure project that we started with the city, um, I guess a little over a year ago, about a year and a half ago. Uh, there's this neighborhood in Blue Island, which is in the north, northeasternmost corner of the city, um, bounded on, by 119th Street on the north, which is the border with the city of Chicago. Um, it's a pretty diverse neighborhood, A little lo- uh, tends to be on the lower income side within Blue Island. And they were having a lot of flooding problems. <coughs> so you'll see here, it's hard to, you know, if you, don't, if you can't read these gray <laughs> maps, it's a little hard to tell, but um, this part of the town actually sits on a hill. Blue Island used to be an actual island, so there's, there's actually hills and elevation in Blue Island, unlike in other areas in the region. And so this neighborhood sits on a hill, and this part is up on the top here at Western Avenue, and it goes down towards the, um, the east, towards the metro, uh, metro tracks. And then, of course, the metro is up on an embankment, so it goes up a little bit. So then, you really you end up with a big valley right in the middle. And every time it rains, that valley fills up and floods all those homes that are here in the middle. And then all the homes sort of on the way sort of get the damage of all the stormwater running down the hill. <coughs> and they've had problems repeatedly, and they've asked the city to do something about it. And the city, you know, does the best they can. But it, you know, past plans have required huge engineering tunnels and really expensive infrastructure to fix what's, what's going on there. And then this section also flows out into the CALSAG channel. So there's combined sewer overflows in the rain into the CALSAG channel. So, yeah, you know, see here what it looks like in the neighborhood, which is typical all over the region. You've got downspouts, some that are still connected to the sewer system. But then you've got some that are not connected, but they're just, going out into pavement, so that doesn't actually really help anything. I like this house here, where the downspouts just sort of fly off the front shutters, and I don't know, onto the f- sidewalk. You've got this giant school in the southern part of the neighborhood where all their downspouts are all connected. It's a really huge school, lots of impervious surfaces, and inside that school is this courtyard, which y- would you would think would be a nice green space that might be actually helpful for stormwater management, but is actually, um, Originally, it was very poorly planned, and so there's really poor soil and uh, a lot of construction debris in there. (coughs) So the same Blue Island applied for an Illinois Green Infrastructure Grant with the Illinois EPA. um, That included a whole host of public right-of-way investments as well as some engagement with homeowners and businesses. They didn't end up getting that grant. But instead, we decided to work with them and some existing entities in the region that have some tools that are helpful and try to do sort of the private engagement side anyway without the funding. So obviously we're really focusing on green infrastructure. I don't think I have to explain to you all what green infrastructure is, but um, it's trying to capture the rain where it falls using things like rain barrels, rain gardens, more naturalized systems rather than trying to pipe everything and take it away. So what we really did was we really wanted to do was bring together people and organizations and let them do what they do best. MPC is not necessarily, we don't, we don't, we're not gardeners, we're not experts on native plants or anything like that, but there are plenty of those in this region. We have so many really great resources in the Chicago region, and we really just wanted to bring them all together and let them do what they do. So we partnered with a whole host of organizations. Um, the Illinois Department of Natural Resources uh, were able to donate plants, native plants, to this effort. Um, Illinois Indiana Sea Grant was able to do some teacher training at a local school for us on watershed planning. Um, We also worked with the Cook County Master Gardeners. They were able to do some, this was actually, this this park design was done by a master gardener and they helped lead some garden plantings with us um, and also led some uh, workshops on gardening. We also partnered with USGBC in their Green Schools Day and through that, partnered with the Lakota group, who designed these two here, to do more more um, native garden, native plant gardens, sort of demonstration rain gardens in the neighborhood. So what we ended up doing was doing three um, uh, three sites with demonstration native plant gardens, some of which were actual rain gardens, some of which were just native plant gardens, um, and then 125 rain barrel installations throughout the neighborhood at both private residences and businesses. And we also partnered with. Um, the Blue Island Park District, some local churches, the city, the chamber, some local businesses. Really got all these people together and there was no budget for this project really. Um, A lot of this was in-kind services or things that these entities already do as a service um, that we just took advantage of and put in this one place. So in the end, um, we had three big volunteer days. We had about 1,200 hours of um, volunteers. From 150 or so uh, different volunteers 125 rain barrels at 33 residences and three um, schools churches Um, we planted over a thousand plants 97 trees and we just it was really really great time I've never seen people so happy about stormwater management you know and they really you know we we talked a little bit about what the what the end goals were with this you can only talk so much with with a hundred plus volunteers, but we were able to tell them what was the purpose of a rain garden, what is the purpose of these um, barrels. And we did this a lot of this work, these two, these three pictures actually are all from a school. Um, and this is, a uh, you've got third, fourth, fifth, sixth graders. And I've heard some kids who'd never really been gardening before say this was the best day of their lives and they were gonna go home and tell their parents to get a rain garden or a rain barrel and that just was like amazing. This is exactly what we want to happen. And so we really were trying to get people engaged um, at the local level on being a part of the solution for their stormwater problems. And we're not delusional, of course, there needs to be bigger um, city investment also, but to have people help, like, begin to understand what that takes and what, what they can do on their property is really important to get buy-in. So you know, as part of, as um, following up on those volunteer planting days last, it was last fall, Uh, I went back this summer, and this is what some of those gardens look like. This is the demonstration native garden, and then the classrooms actually each have their own um, classroom bed where they do plantings. This is some teacher training that the Sea Grant did, um, and here, and then we also worked with OAI, which is a workforce development group, to train build students on how to install rain barrels Towards an end, that you know, OAI and, and the South Suburban Mayor's Man- management Association, Managers Association are thinking about um, trying to develop a, a, some sort of social enterprise or workforce program for green infrastructure installation and maintenance. And so trying to figure out how can you um, bring jobs into the equation when you're talking about stormwater management and green infrastructure. So you know, some of the fun outcomes of this, I mean, this is a, it was a really fun project to work on, and it got a lot of people involved. And we've gotten, you know, it's won a couple of awards, it's got a model project through the Millennium Reserve, and USGBC gave it, uh, Illinois gave it um, a model project. And I just, the Chicago Architecture Foundation just opened their Great Lakes exhibit, and I noticed they had a photo from this project up in the exhibit as well. Um, But sort of beyond just sort of those kinds of feel-good moments from this project, one really um, concrete outcome of this was that the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District, um, they in the last few months have decided to give funding and technical assistance to a few local communities to do um, specific stormwater management planning um, and projects, and they identified Blue Island as one of their first 12 that they're going to start doing intergovernmental agreements with, and that, I mean, that was entirely due to the sort of effort that the city and its residents put into this this particular neighborhood and trying to devote time to um, green infrastructure and stormwater management.
3: Yeah, when uh, we applied for the IGIG award, they sort of said it couldn't be done when, uh, you know, we Laid out our sort of community engagement piece, and so it gave us a little bit of an oomph to show them that it really could be done if you gave maximum effort, and it really is sort of maximum effort. But I'm I'm quite proud when I look closely at this phase two stormwater management and see the communities that now Blue Island is sort of uh, you know we're on their level. Des Plaines, Evanston, um, places like that, uh,
2: Winnetka, Winnetka,
3: Willow Springs. You know, this is certainly one of these things is not like the other. And it might be <laughs> Blue Island, which makes me very proud. You know, uh, it, that's the way it should be. We've been able to leverage that for a, a number of different Millennium Reserve projects, actually. Um, you know, the uh, rain barrels and uh, the Millennium Reserve routes that Abby talked about were up in sort of this northeast corner of our town near the uh, metro station at 119th Street. Uh, We're also working with uh, open lands on uh, Calumet Water Trails along the Little Calumet River. That's along our eastern border. So there will be five workshops uh, this coming year, teaching kids how to paddle, bringing people to the water, and getting them involved with the uh, Little Calumet River. And then also with South Suburban Mayors and Managers, a regional initiative along Midlothian Creek. That began really through uh, Brownfields funding uh, that Jody Prout secured for the, the city. Uh, and looking at cargo oriented development and morphed into this sort of regional project that include Midlothian, Robbins, Blue Island and other communities in the region. Communities that really hadn't been engaged in planning, Uh, you know, they don't have professional planners on their staff and hadn't been engaged really regionally as well. So water has become a really excellent way for us to talk to our neighbors. Uh, Not surprising, of course. One of the um, Next steps for Blue Island that we're most excited about is the lease of the Water Reclamation District land. Uh, this is a first for probably our region down there. But as Abby mentioned, Blue Island, of course, is on both sides of the Cal SAG. That makes the Water Reclamation District and their right-of-way the largest landowner in Blue Island. They own 130 acres. And so we needed to lease this land so we could have the Cal SAG Trail come through. This is, uh, this is our 606. This is the 708. This trail goes from Lamont to the Indiana line, essentially, to Burnham, 26 miles. Really remarkable achievement that gets under construction next year. 80% of it is funded. Um, So we had to lease this land for the trail and then realized that we had a bunch of leftover. And we really started to think about, so what do we do with all this other land? Not only how do we leverage the trail to um, get people into Blue Island, but how do we use this as an asset? So we shifted gears towards a waterfront planning process. Um, This, again, is our waterfront. And about the scope of the plan includes both the Cal Sag channel and the Little Calumet River, which meet at the eastern corner in Blue Island at a a location called Phase Point. Uh, The city of Blue Island hired Weaver Boost Consultant as the project lead. And we're working with Smith Group JJR and Metropolitan Planning Council on developing a plan for this entire corridor, something Blue Island really has never thought about before. And the audacity of something like this is is I was reminded about today when I was putting this together. These are photos from 1970, so two years before the Clean Water Act. This guy here is fishing benzene, frozen benzene, out of the Cal SAG. This is taken in Blue Island. Clark Oil Refinery is right behind there. Uh, At the other corner is just west of Blue Island at what's known as the Acme Bend on the Calumet River. And that's the Chicago Sanitary District, um, just sort of their sewer outfall and this is all you could see sort of floating down towards Blue Island. Um, you know, the Cal SAG has an industrial legacy. I think it's one that's important, but it also speaks to um, some of the challenges for the community uh, when we began to to, to look at the Cal SAG. It was an industrial corridor. as a working place. It was a sanitary canal when it was first constructed in the 1920s. So it grew up with um, manufactured gas plants, coal, this is right along the banks of the Calsag, rail of course, uh, cheek to jaw with not only the, the waterway but also with, with the community. Nevertheless, of course, there is sort of a, always been a coexistence with the industrial landscape in the Calumet region. Uh, the photo of rowing which we celebrate now, that photo there is from 1976 from an amateur rowing event. Um, You could see in the top corner how narrow the sag was when it first opened, only 60 feet wide. And the folks in the bottom are enjoying Stony Creek, which is right next to, in the background, that manufactured gas plant. Today a lot of these sites give us, um, you know, an opportunity to redevelop through Brownfields funding. That's an important part of Blue Island's uh, sort of waterfront plan. We um, are looking at the site at the bottom. Uh, we call it either Stony Creek, it's a former manufactured gas plant site, so the photo above it stood on that site from the 1900s to the 1950s. Uh, that site has been remediated, so it's a successful brownfield uh, and all the uh, sort of contamination has been removed. I want to give credit too to some of the, the legacy that this left behind, and it's really one of our most important assets when we went out and sort of rediscovered the Little Calumet and the Cal Sag Channel. This is half of the Blue Island locks. When you uh, traveled west down the Cal SAG the, from the 1920s to the 1960s, this would have been the first lock. This was before the O'Brien Lock. So this was the controlling works for the Illinois waterway on, in the Calumet region. Uh, actually, just last uh, spring, for the APA conference, we bought 20 planners from Connecticut to Los Angeles out onto the Cal SAG and did exactly this. These are people kayaking on the Cal SAG so bringing people to the water um, is something very new for us but very important and very powerful Um, I never went kayaking in my life until somebody suggested I do it on the cal sag and maybe just because I'm totally ignorant about kayaking or just really passionate about the cal sag I said I'll do it and it was on a windy day and I was out there with one other guy and he's far enough ahead of me that he couldn't hear me screaming this is not a good idea (laughs) But I sort of manned up and got through it. But man, when you're on a kayak, that water looks big. It's 225 feet wide, these big walls from these old locks. It was a little bit scary, but I learned to love it by the end of the day. So um, bringing people to the water has been such an important part of where we're at right now. I also want to give credit to the Water Reclamation District. This is a SIPA, Side Stream Elevated Pool Aeration Station in Blue Island. SIPA number three is in Blue Island. There's five along the CAL SAG. These were opened in the 1990s. Uh, They've won a few awards. They're very dirt simple. They have a pump house which is a giant corkscrew that takes water out of the CAL SAG and then pumps it out over these weirs to create waterfalls that oxygenate the water. They learned the CAL SAG because it's a a man-made channel that had such a smooth bottom that the water wasn't being agitated enough and that was uh, impacting the water quality. So by a series of five of these, they're able to improve the water quality considerably enough that I would consider kayaking on the CALSAG. and I grew up down in the region, and it is a place that had a reputation of giving you like a third arm if you looked at it, <laughs> let alone touched it. So I, um, we'll address that later. And and um, you know Blue Island and the Calumet region is I think the first online for disinfection uh, through the uh, consent decree with the EPA and the Water Reclamation District, and um, They've been doing some remarkable things as well with the Watershed Management Ordinance, which we support and we think will do a a great job to improve the water quality in Blue Island. So all these pieces are coming together now along our corridor. And what we're finding is, you know, if if you're not bringing folks to them, they might not know they exist. You know, people turned their back on the CALSAG for so long. There's a few events, rowing events and such, that have sort of pushed the envelope a little bit but we really wanted the community to be engaged in in this project. Um, so we started looking at existing assets that people love that's that you know plants, paddles, and people you know the uh, the restoration that's happening along the Little Calumet River the college rowing events that have already happened there's been three college rowing events on the Cal Sag. we have lanes in the Cal Sag that you pull up for that and of course the people that provide that place the authenticity that I think is so much a part of why the folks in Blue Island care about it. It's a very authentic, a very real place. And I think that Plants, Paddles, People also plays into that triple bottom line approach that the Cal Sag Trail taught us about, you know? That we could leverage sort of the people and and do it in a way that sort of protects their pocketbook, hopefully expands their pocketbook, but also do it in a way that's very uh, respectful of the planet and sort of environmental conditions. So when we uh, started working on the waterfront, MPC's role was to help with that place making people, place, place making peace, getting people to the waterfront and experiencing them. So if Abby, you want to talk about that, go ahead. Yeah, so
2: we're just one of um, three entities that are working on the waterfront plan. There's actual landscape architects and engineers who are doing the, you know, the intense mapping and planning. But what our role really was was to connect all of that to the actual people who live in Blue Island. And like Jason said, people don't really think about the water at all. Um, I, don't, I don't live in Blue Island, and I think about it because, I, I mean, I've, I've visited. I care about the water. I, I think about water all the time. That's my job. But people who live there and have lived there for many years, they don't—they forget that a that a river, or a channel actually even exists, and they don't really spend any time there. And so, we wanted to figure out, well, now that this opportunity has come about, leasing the land from MWRD, to actually program the space, get people out to the water, get people sort of engaged in the community. What do people want there? What would people want to do? What would people? What would get people out to the water? Um, and so we're, we were brought on to, to do some place-making activities and, and this is what something for the Project for Public Spaces does. Um, Project for Public Spaces, yes. Um, does place audits, which is this sort of really simple way of evaluating a site. And so we did, a few, about a month ago, we, we identified four sites right along the water and we invited people to come out to the site. This wasn't sort of a public meeting where you stand around in front of a map. It was you actually come out to the site and experience it um, as as you would in the place on a Saturday morning, and you rate it, you rate the comfort, the image, how do you feel in the place? Does it feel safe? Was it easy to access? Did you know about it? You know, a lot of the comments were about, you know, there's no signage at all about the waterfront, so you wouldn't know unless someone told you to, that it it existed or that you were allowed to be there. You know, what kinds of activities are you seeing there currently? Um, You know, how social is it? Do you see people walking their dogs? Do you see people hanging out, or does it just feel really dark and and isolated, and then really talk through with them what are some ideas they would like to see in this place, both short-term and long-term, both sort of grassroots. What can you do as someone in your community? Can you just go out and have some sort of impromptu music festival or something like that? And what are sort of the bigger, longer-term infrastructure investments that something like the city would have to put into or the the park district? So we did that. These four locations. This is the south side um, on Old Western Street, which is right next to a number of businesses, um, restaurants, and bars, and it's sort of like under this bridge that goes over the Sag Channel. Um, it's a nice space with a like good view of um, uh, a view of the water. And we also went down to the north side of Old Western, which has this nice green space. But this is all you know, MWRD land that was previously not really you know not really um, friendly and accessible for people. We also, this is um, next to that Stony Creek Park site where the um, the old Gasworks plant was. And then over here, of course, the SEPA station. We got a lot of feedback from people. Um, and some of the key sort of issues that kept coming up were improving access. It's just really hard to get to a lot of these places. Um, and definitely difficult to know that they're there. This, these are some um, gorilla signage that we found in Blue Island. Um, because there there isn't real signage there to get you to the Arts District or the Ann Street Bridge. <clears throat> so actually improving wayfinding is a huge, huge part of trying to get people um, aware of and accessing the waterfront, um, adding activities, not just uh, things to do, not just, um, you know, we had some people say, oh, it'd be really great to, to do some yoga out here by the SEPA station. There's a lot of space here. Um, and then somebody else said, okay, so we need the city to, to build us a plaza so we can do yoga. And you know, just not thinking about the fact that well, actually, there's grass here. All you have to do is just bring your yoga mats and just go do it. I mean, we do that all over the place here in the city of Chicago, and it's just something that people hadn't thought about. And so, trying to bring more activities to bring people there, improving safety conditions. There's parts of the parts of the channel that are isolated or you know have broken broken signage, broken fences. Um, <clears throat> And they really want things connected to the local economy. Whatever activity happens on the waterfront, they want to connect it to all the economic activity that's happening in the uptown neighborhood, and then also in the old western district where the, a lot of the businesses are. Um, and really transforming that waterfront to make it inclusive. So not just talking about how do you make this a space that will attract outsiders to come in and get tourists to spend money in the community, which is a very important part of it, but also how do you get the people who live there of all ages, ethnicities, um, incomes to come to the water and actually enjoy it. So it's not gonna be all yacht clubs and wine bars, but just everything that you can, you know, you might want to do along the waterfront. So that waterfront planning is still ongoing. We'll be wrapping up in January, um, but it's it's a good time for this. Um, not only is it timed with MWRD leasing the land, but there's a lot of sort of new funding that's coming out now that's sort of related to this. The Shy cal Rivers Fund that came out mm, like three or four months ago, and is all about access to waterfront, improving stormwater management, and small-scale small, small scale implementation grants. And then the Illinois Coastal Management Program, through IDNR, is funding a lot of education and planning and access activities. Um, and then we'll talk about the Millennium Res- Reserve Rowing Center in a second, but um, MWRD is also sort of broadening its scope in terms of trying to incorporate placemaking into the leasing of their land. They own a lot of land in the region. They're one, I think, the. Second, second biggest landholder in the county, um, and they're becoming more and more receptive to actually leasing their land out to the communities that that land sits in. Um, they're very sort of scared of like the liability issues, but they're open to it and we're trying to like, use Blue Island as an example of how you can do this um, and, and do a real partnership. And so this is one of the examples and one of the things going forward um, that's an opportunity both for Blue Island but for other communities that have MWRD land.
3: Yeah, I think um, that's an important message to take home to folks, you know, in the Chicago region, that the the Water Reclamation District is a important landowner and and should be engaged on sort of planning activities. You know, we've we've come through this whole process really trying to plan from the bottom up. You know, community engagement for us came first. Uh, we're really fortunate to have a, a partners that wanted to go out and into the community and work on stormwater, like Abby said we didn't often say we we're working on stormwater until the end of the day I always like to say I'm trying to create co-conspirators right I got them to install that rain barrel and they realized it wasn't so bad and now they're on my team so sort of pushing that up and what's great is I, I the municipality is listening as well Blue Island elected uh, a new mayor and new alderman uh, this past spring Mayor Domingo Vargas has sort of recognized some of these Environmental efforts as a way to leverage Blue Island and its image in in the region as well as in the south suburbs, so blue Island going green big is going to be a big deal in blue Island over the next you know few years and I'm really glad to see that um, the community part is, is is sort of front and center of of those efforts um, you know like Abby said the residents see the waterfront as an opportunity to connect to economic development opportunities because they see the things that we've been doing around the waterfront that have an economic impact. The college rowing events that Abby mentioned are a really important piece of that and something that we're, we're working to bring back. Um, connecting to industry remains important to Blue Islanders. You know industry isn't a dirty word in the south suburbs or in the Calumet region. It's critical and we have the infrastructure for it as well. We have a canal running through the middle of our town. So when we're working on that plan, finding rooms to fit industry into our, our planning process and into the community remains important. People want these jobs in Blue Island, and hopefully through the sort of big lens, we turn those into green jobs as well. And connecting to our historic areas, uh, historic commercial areas, Old Western and Uptown are the two historic commercial districts and we've been doing a good job of that with with biking and in by local sort of campaigns. The rowing center and boathouse is gonna be we hope a a real principal feature of this driver in Blue Island this is on that piece of area that we called Face Point it's a really unique bit of land because it's along the Little Calumet River but it's privately owned it's not owned by the water reclamation district so um, the possibilities are a little bit larger there Including food, beverage, wine, and beer, and some things that the water wreck doesn't want you doing on their land. So, um, we're working with partners to try to get this rowing center off the ground again. It's actually part of a planned development for Phase Point that included uh, some senior buildings, multifamily buildings, and townhomes. So, it actually already has the entitlements in place, and some of the drawings were completed back in 2005. So, through the Millennium Reserve, we've been able to sort of resurrect this idea and use this as sort of a, a real signature for the Millennium Reserve, we hope, and, and for Blue Island as well, and a regional draw for, to bring rowing back to our community. The Cal-SAG Trail, again, is another one. I credit the Cal-SAG Trail with really turning around the region's perspective about the Cal-SAG itself as a waterway. Again, it became not so scary anymore when it became a bike trail. Um, Mary Polson in our office has done incredible work Blue Island is one of the lead agencies, one of the two lead agencies for the for the CalSag Trail. So I try to thank her every chance I get for making this happen. Uh, for people that are curious about it. It's funded from Lamont, which is out here in the west, all the way to Halstead, in uh, just past Blue Island, and the Riverdale Corridor, except for a teeny piece in Alsip between uh, Cicero and Pulaski that, that was left out. But so 80% of this is funded. It's funded through CMAC and ITEP route planners, so you know the acronyms. Um, Those funds were given to uh, Blue Island and uh, and their partners to build that trail. And again, we hope to leverage that for what we're now calling TOD Trail Oriented Development. This is actually in our TOD, in our Transit Oriented Development section. Uh, A couple years ago, Blue Island passed a TOD ordinance thanks to the RTA and their funding support. We worked with Tesca and and Ginkgo and created a a Uptown TOD zoning district that was focused mainly largely on the Calsac channel. We worked heavily with the water reclamation district, found out what their needs were for setbacks, and then worked with the development community such as the community builders and Holston to see what their needs were as developers so we could craft a a zoning uh, district that matched not only what the development community was looking for, but what the water rec was looking for. So on, on this illustration, which was done for us by South Suburban mayors and managers, um, Chatham Street here, well actually the Cal Trail is going to go down that street, cross a bridge over the CalSag. And so really connecting both those waterway trails that we talked about, that we're working on with Open Lands, and the bike trail that we're working on with Friends of the Cal Sag Trail, uh, we really see our TOD as the sort of next step in economic development for the city of Blue Island and just to give credit to more partners like Abby said how are we gonna do it bringing everybody we know in Uh, we're really proud to have you know been able to bring not only the city of Blue Island but also the park district which is a separate local government We brought in the school district another local government these are things that don't happen very often in suburban communities but getting them to work together with federal partners and you know we talked about the three P's of plants paddles and people I want to talk about as well too, the sort of two P's of public private, which are always trendy and, and good things. We've been able to leverage some of that as well down here in, in Blue Island through the waterway.
2: And sort of bringing people together, bring, bringing entities together, but also uh, communities and regional agencies together is something that MPC really works on. And one of the things we're really trying to do is integrate water planning, and that's stormwater, water supply, wastewater planning. Into other aspects of planning, into capital investment programs, into community development. Um, one of the one of the big things that we were able to to do in our work with both um, Blue Island and the South Suburban mayors and managers um, was we we're, we're, we've done a big we played a big role in the establishment of the Cook County Land Bank. Um, our president sat on the uh, the the advisory group for the task force that established the land bank. And one of the big things we were able to do was help them recognize other opportunities for the vacant land that they acquire in the land bank, other than just housing and future economic development, but sort of temporary uses as green space or um, stormwater, green infrastructure space. And so we've actually been able to get them um, to sit down with the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District and and talk through planning for how, how to prioritize land bank land for potential stormwater uses, either temporarily or permanently, as that fits in with other housing and economic development priorities. also through the Millennium Reserve, we've, um, the M- MPC will be leading sort of a green infrastructure coordinating group. In this region, there's, there are so many really great groups doing a lot of work on green infrastructure, but it tends to be done in really piecemeal fashion. There's a few different definitions of green infrastructure. There's the Chicago wilderness definition, which is a lot, a lot broader um, and, and includes sort of the other ecosystem benefits, whereas a lot of um, MPC and a lot of other groups sort of focus more on the stormwater side of things. Um, but through this Millennium Reserve Initiative, we're gonna be hopefully coordinating all the entities that do work in stormwater management and green infrastructure, MWRD, Illinois EPA, IDNR, City of Chicago, um, Chicago Wilderness, all these groups that have some sort of stake in the game in terms of stormwater management and help coordinate how, how are we actually gonna utilize the tools we have like the land bank, like TOD funds, like the cal trail, like all these partnerships that have been established, how are we gonna be able to l- use those tools and existing data and modeling to really prioritize how to do regional scale stormwater management, um, which is sort of a really exciting opportunity for us. Um, and that's at the really big regional scale. But still, it really comes down to a lot of, a lot of the attention that's paid to this comes from the attention that goes into the local scale. You know, when it when it rains, you know, we talk about this at a regional issue of stormwater management and flooding, but people experience it in their daily lives on a very local scale. In their basements, in their backyards that flood. The rains just the other the other day was that, Sunday? I mean, my entire street was completely flooded. I couldn't get through some of the sidewalks. Um, so people experienced it really locally, and so being able to, to reach people at that level by engaging them at a very local level has been a really big part of what we're trying to do and what we did here in Blue Island. That said, is it replicable? Is this some sort of model? I mean, Jason and I have both been asked to speak about this project many times and you know we you know it's it's one award that's featured you know at, at CAF, but is it is it a model that's actually replicable? And you know, I think the answer is sort of mixed. I would say maybe, if you really get the right partners in the room and everyone's dedicated and someone's sort of herding cats. Um, I don't know, Jason might say something different than that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, But really trying to figure out too, how do you make uh, meaningful engagement? So we, we did this sort of stormwater management planning at a local level from the grassroots. We started with working with private entities. We didn't start with doing big sewer projects in the street. And I mean, let's be honest, the 125 rain barrels, the native plant demonstration gardens, they're not really gonna solve flooding. They're not really gonna do, that much in terms of stormwater management. Let's let's be honest, but um, that doesn't that doesn't mean there's not something important and fruitful in that engagement process. And and like I said, the the ability of the city of Blue Island to get on MWRD's radar um, for partnering on actual that the public side investments came from this engagement with local communities. Um, and so using using this sort of green infrastructure engagement as an education and outreach tool is actually really important is if you recognize it as that and not so much as hey this is gonna solve your basement backups
3: I think to add to that you know if 125 rain barrels purchased with a $2500 donation can leverage 1.5 million dollars in MWRD investment in our public right-of-way investment that the city won't have to make itself you I think we did alright you know the, the engagement part is really important, and you know, I don't know when planning became pointing at a map, but we had to do it. <laughs> and So we did some of this, of course. This is actually just a few weeks ago. We pointed at maps and tried to get people involved and, and, and find out what do they want on that waterfront, uh, but do it in a way that was a little bit more unique. You know, do it in, in themes. What were some of the themes we worked through here, Abby?
2: Uh, There's uh, some of the things we talked about before. So, um, public safety, um, uh, culture, and inclusion. We had um, economic development beyond the waterfront. Things like that.
3: Yeah, you know. So taking what we hear at at those wayfinding or placemaking uh, efforts, and and bringing it into the sort of planning world, the sort of more traditional planning world. So when that plan actually lands on somebody's desk, it has um, something of a real significant amount of community engagement Um, you know we're all struggling with night meetings but certainly you can't ever do enough outreach you know and I would just encourage people that outreach is a little bit more fun when you can do it on a Saturday night here we are installing rain barrels this was hazardous we did this with no god we were dumb we had no (laughs) hold harmless agreement uh, that's Josh and Molly from OAI I think the guy holding it was one of her students uh, that's going through a training program me and the director of the park district were walking around with a sawzall <laughs> oh boy so that stuff is good that really reminds you why you do the work at least and it got people engaged and again you know the sort of the the typical sort of environmental stuff the um, uh, the cleanup days, you know, getting people out on the water, getting people out into the creeks and beds. Um, those sorts of outreach efforts have really um, borne fruit I think in Blue Island when you look at the breadth of waterfront activity we're seeing now. We started at a really small scale. We started in somebody's backyard with a hacksaw. I think the next steps especially for me in, in the community that I hope the waterfront does is what I said, changing the message. You know, if you spend any time around the Cal-SAG channel and probably other waterways, you see a lot of no signs in fences. They repeat it again and again, and it gives people really the wrong message. It says, one, that says, caution, this waterway is not suitable for uh, wading, swimming, jet skiing, water skiing, any fishing. Um, I don't know if that's totally true. They're jet skiing over there, and I'm kayaking, and these folks are fishing. Um, People are doing it. And we know why the signs are there, you know. Um, but really, we hope that like some of this effort uh, is, is sort of changing some of the policy that put those signs there in the first place.
2: So, what does this mean for broader policy? Bring it back to the planning world and out of the fun in Blue Island of. Cutting off downspouts on a Saturday morning. Um, so I've talked a little bit already about MWD's opportunities for uh, leasing their land and and doing more placemaking connections and um, and also they're working with the land bank. Um, some of what we're doing at MPC is we're actually, you know, we've done this this sort of um, community engagement project here. We've also done a project in the Logan Square neighborhood um, where we sort of granted out to people along Milwaukee Avenue for green infrastructure projects on behalf of the um, Illinois EPA. And from these and many countless other uh, green infrastructure incentive programs, we've sort of gotten the sense that They're not always the most effective use of limited dollars for stormwater management. And we really are trying to get the region and communities to think a little bit more strategically about how they use their limited dollars for stormwater management. And so, one of the things we're doing is uh, we're doing sort of a research project on um, stormwater incentive programs. And what, you know, if you're a community and you decide you want to. Get private property owners to do something for stormwater. What is it? What are they doing? Are they cutting downspouts? Are they doing rain gardens, rain barrels? Um, are you as the municipality going onto their land and getting an easement and doing it yourself? Or are you getting them to do it? How is the maintenance going to work? What kind, are, you, are you giving them some sort of stormwater utility fee break? Are you giving them grants, rebates? Um, all these sorts of different ways that are out there already to incentivize people to do stormwater management on their private properties. Um, we're really looking into, how do you best do that? What are the ways that are actually effective? And what are the goals? I mean, sometimes if your goal is really just community engagement and outreach, then you know, that's okay. That, it doesn't have to actually have stormwater implications as long as you're not advertising it as, this is gonna solve your basement backups and flooding, which unfortunately happens, and then you always get the complaints afterwards. It's like, this didn't help, and therefore green infrastructure doesn't work. Um, And that doesn't help any of us. And so trying to recognize what your goals are. Are they regulatory goals? Are they flooding reduction goals? Are they just education goals? Um, But then also taking taking a look at data and modeling and scope and trying to really integrate the public and private investments, trying to identify, is it actually more cost-effective to do public right-of-way investments to do gray infrastructure, in fact. I mean, we're not, we're not just advocating for green infrastructure. Sometimes gray is the cheapest and best al- alternative, or sometimes the soil doesn't actually work right for green infrastructure. And to really make the decisions on a strategic level for that, rather than just sort of a, well, we wanna do the right thing, or we wanna do the green thing, and we're just gonna do rain gardens. Um, try to really um, make it part of an en- engineering process the way gray, gray infrastructure investments are done. And then, again, just incorporating the placemaking and uh, community engagement into anything, whether it's this sort of stormwater management or if it's something more tangible like waterfront cleaning, um, trying to make sure that it goes beyond just engineering and landscape and actually goes to places and activities and things that people actually, you know, on a day-to-day, they personally might care about. Um, and then also just recognizing that there's benefits um, to all of this other than just specifically stormwater management. Um, you get a lot of, uh, um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, you get a lot of green space. You get a lot of other um, clean air issues. Uh, you can get a lot of other just uh, this whole concept of placemaking and really recognizing. Um, at that school, the the front section where they took out um, they took out a big paved lot that u- was used previously for uh, parents to come in and pick up their kids, and that's where they put the gardens. And now the students are are learning how to plant things and garden, and they're actually recognizing what is what's the difference between a native plant and something else, and what does that mean? Um, so you really get the educational benefits as well. Um, and collaborating regionally, which we've already discussed. So I think that's it. So we'll take your questions, if you have any questions.
0: Let's have a round of applause for our speakers. And just as a reminder, as we open this up to a q and I'm going to walk around with this microphone so that we can record your questions for the podcast. So just put your hand up, and I'll come to you. And don't be shy. Or I'll ask the first question. So moderator's prerogative here. Um, So I think you've given some clues sort of throughout the presentation as to what extent all of these different initiatives have been uh, strategic versus part of a long-range vision or something in between. Does uh, Blue Island have a comprehensive plan that has been updated relatively recently? And how many of these initiatives that we're talking about fit into that comprehensive plan?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, Blue Island was the um, you know beneficiary of a local technical assistance grant from CMAP. So we have a very recent comprehensive plan. Uh, so as we're doing these projects, the uh, comp plan was being drafted as well. So uh, one of uh, the more unique pieces of our comprehensive plan is a list of strategies. One of the things we really wanted to stress. In a community, honestly, Blue Island has been pretty well planned. We have uh, done a good job of attracting not-for-profit partners to Blue Island because of the mix of assets. There's something, a little something for everybody down there in Blue Island. So um, we wanted the sort of the political leadership, the elected officials, to see the comp plan as something a bit more important than all the other plans. So we made sure that the comp plan not only reflected the goals of the 17 other plans that came before it, but gave them some strategies that taught them how a comprehensive plan is used in a community that has one. Blue Island hadn't had one in thirty years, so it was really something that was sort of forgotten in the previous five years of uh, the, sort of this planning marathon that we're going through. So um, cleaning up the Cal Sag Channel is one of the ten strategies, and what our comprehensive plan does then is it indicates how that fits into other the traditional goals that you find in the comprehensive plan. Um, so. It's, it's a, a significant part of what we're trying to do um, over the next 20 to 30 years for certain.
1: Hi, hi, I'm Lupe Castaneda, I'm a resident of Blue Island. And I didn't know you were even doing any of this. So, which is really kind of shocking because I, I try to stay, you know. I did affordable housing in South Chicago where we tried to be sustainable. So to know that this is going on in my own backyard is like, I'm like shocked, I had a loss for words. So I wanted to know where you guys were doing your outreach because I would, would have definitely been there.
3: <laughs> you know, I think that's something we, you always struggle with. Um, when I said, yeah, do more, you can always do more. Um, you know, certainly uh, some of the projects were confined to the neighborhood scale. So um, the Northeast site, project went from 119th to 123rd street from western avenue to the rock island tracks if that makes sense to anybody but i'm speaking to a blue islander um in that project we went door to door with flyers and said mm-hmm. do you want a rain barrel they're free and people would say in
1: my door because i would have said heck yeah okay um yeah because i just disconnected all my down and just let the water because i have a big lot next door yeah that's great so yeah but i would have rather had the you know yeah, where so, um, you know, but here's another thing I was confused about. I saw the, I did the arts walk every year. So where's the path?
3: The Calsac Trail? Yeah. It's being built next year.
1: Oh, okay. I, I thought I missed it. All right. Thanks.
3: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. And they start, they're starting west and moving east. So Blue Island will be hit about 2015.
2: And if you actually, if you go to blueisland.org waterfront, there's actually an opportunity to enter your feedback there, and we still have a public meeting on January 11th. We are still taking public comments, and in MPC, we are still reaching out to local community groups and coming and arranging meetings. We are not done yet with the public engagement process, so we are, you can never reach everybody. There's just no way to reach everybody, but there are still opportunities, and let people know.
0: I'm just curious, um, with the city of Chicago getting a hundred million dollar federal loan to finish the uh, activation of the waterfront in downtown, with your experience here, do you have any reflection or advice, uh, obviously it's at a totally different scale, but um, advice for what they do down there to bring people to the waterfront and economic development?
2: Well, I don't know if you've seen the renderings of what they're doing. They're, what they're doing is really specific. It's really, I think, six separate blocks in the downtown, just the just in the downtown area um, east of Wolf Point to the lake. And they're doing, I can't remember which firm designed it. I should remember that. But um, each block has a different theme. And so there's like one that's sort of a playground. There's one with um, with lounge seating so you can just sort of hang out like a cafe. There's one with like a fountain that mimics the uh, history of the water or something like that. They've got pictures of this online, but they're really just focused right there in the downtown area, and it's very much, I I see it sort of like a a tourist attraction slash, you know, lunchtime crowd, hangout spot. Um, You know, what I'd really like for the city to do, and I think, and they're talking about this in the long term, is doing a waterfront, uh, you know Mayor Emanuel always talks about the, the river being the second waterfront um, they're thinking about doing a waterfront plan along all of the, the river and so um, you, you get a lot more opportunities there because you're actually going into different neighborhoods you're not just concentrated to the downtown which is such high density and high high traffic but you actually get into the neighborhoods um, and what they've done in Tom Park has actually been a really good good model. I think they did a really good job there with their boathouse, and they have kayak rentals, and they they even had like the CSO come and play at their opening. So they're 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 activating that space, and it's a lot nicer space than it has been ever in the past. And so if they are able to do more more stuff like that, um, they also run into the problems or or the partnership issues with MWRD and ownership of the land. And so hoping that engagement with MWRD on things like this in Blue Island will give the city of Chicago the opportunity to, or will give MWD the opportunity to do this with the city of Chicago as well. Uh,
1: I did come in late, so excuse my tardiness in case you've already addressed this. With the face point, um, how is that going? Was it very successful? And did you get more people from the area itself or were, was that uh, property able to attract people from all over? I'm curious, and and are those people now a part of the city of Blue Island, you know in terms of just being with the rest of the people?
3: Sure, thank you. yeah. Um, Face Point, as we mentioned, is a, sort of a peninsula in Blue Island to orient you. most people know Ashland. it's just east of Ashland Avenue, where the Cal Sag and the little Calumet River meet, so that's that little little pointy spot in our town. What we've done there um, you know in two thousand and five. Um, there was a plan development approved that would include a uh, number of townhomes, the senior building. There's a building from senior suites there and, and condominiums. Uh, as part of that, the the master development for it really envisioned Facepoint as a waterfront community. So they also built a marina with 88 boat slips, uh, a really lovely boardwalk. They dredged part of the Little Cal uh, with. Army Corps of Engineers and Open Lands, they created a remarkable sort of restored wetland along that bank. It's a great attractor for birds, I see unique things out there all the time. Um, of course 2005 is a really bad time to build homes and so they built a bunch of townhomes and sold about half of them. The, uh, the developer did go into foreclosure it was purchased recently uh, pretty cheaply and Actually, just uh, two weeks ago, uh, senior suites broke ground on a second senior building there, a supportive living facility that was uh, completed with uh, IDA credits. And the, the developer has plans on, they're actually presently marketing the townhomes that were completed but not sold, and are, are hopefully going to build the rest of them. The future of the marina is uh, up for grabs. We really want to see that you know, part of the development happen. Um, so the Blue Island uh, City of Blue Island is working with the developer on the future of the, the boat slips, and also I think it's significant that the Cal Trail runs across the um, runs across the site, so it, it goes across the north uh, side of Face Point, and then will cross over the Little Calumet River into Forest Preserve District land, and that that has been funded. I think the the trail will do much to connect that community to the broader part of Blue Island. It is a little bit disconnected just because. It's also on the other side of the interstate, so it's it's not only on the other side of Ashland, but it's on the other side of I-57, and it is hemmed in, so to speak, by two waterways. Of course, that what makes it such a unique and lovely place to visit is that sort of remoteness. Um, You know, they have a homeowners association that I I talked to, and so in that sense, you know, they're pretty engaged with the local process. Um, But really, FacePoint, if you get a chance to come down to Blue Island, is is a must-see. It's really Unlike the rest of town, and it really kind of points forward to what new development could look like in these sort of um, maybe ecologically disturbed, but also ecologically rich, and you know a lot of heritage assets as well. You know what development might look like there. So that's something we're always working on. You know, making FacePoint a part of Blue Island, more of a part of a Blue Island.
0: Well, I think for the sake of time, let that be the final word. Let's have a round of applause for our speakers again. Thank you. On behalf of the American Planning Association, I want to thank Jason Berry and Abby Chrysostomo for a thought-provoking and informative program on riverfront planning in Blue Island. Thanks also to the many APA staff members who help make this program possible every month. Information on previous and future presentations is available on APA's website, www.planning.org, under the section called Events. I'm David Morley.